Thank you, Jen and worship team. That is such an awesome song. I tell you, when that first song came out, when that song first came out this past year, it was just so fresh and so inspiring to me. And if you saw me riding down the road and it's ever on the radio, you'll see me singing along. And hopefully you're going to be singing along this weekend, too, as we're going to let that be our anthem and our theme for the weekend, that we are the light of the world and this amazing light has been put within us. And, and I hope you really believe that. That God has put this amazing light within us, and he wants to shine this light out of us. You know, when I think about that song and hear that song, and just so many songs of worship that have come out in these last few years, you know, it just makes me think back to some of my childhood years, and we've really come a long, long way from singing songs like This Little Light of Mine and maybe Kumbaya or something. If you grew up in church like me, you probably grew up singing songs like that. I, I'm one of those church girls that grew up singing kumbaya around the campfire. I don't know if any of you are. Uh, yeah, one of you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you know, somehow over the last couple of years, it seems like that song kumbaya has kind of gotten a bad rap. I'm not really sure why that is, because really, when I was singing that song when I was a little girl, I mean, those were some genuine faith moments for me. I mean, we were asking God to come by and be near. And if you don't know, that's what the word kumbaya means. Come by here and be near to me, Lord, because I need you. And ladies, we need God. <laughs> we need God to come by here and be near. And so tonight, we're going to get into God's word, and I have been praying that he's going to come by here and be near, that every single one of us would really sense his nearness. See, I know that God has a whole lot that he wants to say to us this weekend. As we get started, I, I want to tell you a little bit about one of the highlights of my childhood, and that was going off to Christian camp every summer. I loved going off to Christian camp. Now, I've, yeah, maybe there's like two of you out there who are like me. Thank you. Okay. You know what, it's kind of funny though because I am somebody that does not like camping at all now. But I, I love going off to church camp and we really did sit around the campfire and sing Kumbaya. I mean, we did that every single year. And I'm certain that God used those moments where he drew near to me, and that's when he began my faith in Jesus. When I was just a little girl, I was eight years old. Now, isn't um, that a lovely picture? <laughs> Eight years old, okay? Hopefully God's been doing a big work. So, <laughs> hopefully. One uh, chilly Sunday night in April of 1973, I made a really big decision as a result of that work that God started in me when I was just eight years old. We had gone to church. We still had church on Sunday night then. And the preacher had preached. And at the end of that service, I got up, ponytails and all, and walked down the aisle because I wanted to tell him that I wanted to become a Christian. And I was this little girl. I didn't know how to express my faith in Jesus. So he helped me. And he said words, and then I'd repeat after him. I, he said, I believe. And then I said, I believe. And he said, that Jesus is the Christ. And I said, that Jesus is the Christ. And he said, the Son of the living God. And I said, the Son of the living God. And back and forth it went, this repeating after the preacher thing, so he could help me because I didn't even know how to express that I really wanted to become a Christian. And then I got baptized too. And that was a huge moment in my life. It was a mark of where my faith really began. See, that was in my church how somebody expressed their initial faith in Jesus. 
Maybe in your church it, it looks a little bit different. Maybe your faith in Jesus started up on a mountainside somewhere, or maybe you've never even been in a place like this, and, and you don't even really know exactly what we're talking about, and that's okay. But I want to tell you something as we get started. Faith in the living God has to have a starting place. It has to begin somewhere. And I want to tell you that I believe with all my heart that the place where faith starts is the place where God comes near and he begins to do a work in us. Earlier, we began to look at the scripture in Philippians 1.6 that says, For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. I don't know if you realize this or not, but if you have a faith, it's because God began it in you. It says, he who began a good work in you. Now, I'll be honest, when I was that little girl, I didn't know that God was beginning my faith. I thought I was doing it. I thought that I was doing what all the good little church girls were supposed to do, walk down the aisle and, and tell the preacher that you wanted to become a Christian. You know what? When my faith began, there were many, many things about the gospel that I didn't understand at all. But see, I grew up in church. I grew on all the way up. And so I thought that I knew it all. I knew all the Bible stories and then some. I even went off to Bible college and I married a preacher. That my husband's sitting right down here tonight. He's one of the lone men, okay? He, we've been married 25 years this past May. I took all his hair. He doesn't have any left. <laughs> He's a good man. Somebody said at the last BBS that Cynthia could share some hair with him. And so we're, we're working on that. We're working on that. But here's the thing. God began my faith in his gospel at eight years old. But life and experience would prove that I needed him to keep coming near and keep shining his light on my faith. If that seed of faith that he began with was ever going to grow into something genuine. Since God started my faith in Jesus, it belonged to him. And I needed him to work it out in me. And ladies, we all do. This weekend, I believe God wants us to talk about the gospel because it's the essence of a genuine Christian life. See, we could talk about a lot of things. We could talk about having a genuine prayer life or being a genuine wife or teen or mom or grandma or having a genuine quiet time or having more genuine worship or a genuine ministry. I mean, we could talk about all those things, and, and it's not to say that we shouldn't. I mean, maybe they should be talked about at some point. But as I've been seeking the Lord about this whole idea of, of genuine, God keeps bringing me back to the gospel. And he's convinced me that genuine Christian living flows out of embracing faith in the genuine gospel of Jesus. And it's not a one-time thing where you walk down the aisle and say some words after your preacher. It's a lifelong embracing of the gospel every single day. Now, I want to tell you, I haven't always thought that. God has had to continue to work in me to realize how far-reaching the gospel really is. Now, I don't know where you're at tonight. I'm sure in a room this size, we've got a lot of women, or at least I thought we did. Maybe there's only two of you <laughs> who grew up like me, you know, singing kumbaya around the campfire. And I'm sure we've got some, you know, who you've never really sensed God coming near, but if you're honest with yourself, you'd probably really like for him to. But it really doesn't matter where you're at right at this moment because I guarantee you wherever you're at, you need God to come near and work in your faith. 
And we're going to talk about faith tonight. We're going to talk about the gospel. So I want to define the word gospel. The word gospel simply means good news. So if we say the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're talking about the good news of Jesus Christ. And this weekend, what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the words of the Apostle Paul about the gospel. Let me just give you then a little bit of an identity moment on Paul so we can kind of all be on the same page. His name was Saul at one time, but we're just going to call him Paul just to avoid any confusion, okay? But at, at one time, he was a person that actually hated Christians. In fact, he made it his business to kill Christians. And God came near to him, though. In mercy, God came near to Paul, and he taught Paul the gospel. Now, you might be familiar with the story, but basically what was going on was Paul was walking down a road, going to a city to capture some more Christians so he could persecute them and probably even kill them, and God came near. And he shined this bright light on Paul that blinded him, and he began to teach him the gospel. And if you study the Bible, you find out that God literally took 13 years to teach Paul the gospel before he ever really let him get out there and really start preaching it in the way we know of Paul being the greatest preacher of the gospel ever. I mean, that alone, God, the greatest teacher, took 13 years to teach Paul the gospel. That should show us how deep and reaching the gospel is. Now, if you think about it, Paul should have already known the gospel. Now, why do I say that? Well, because he grew up as a very strict Jew, and so he knew all of the holy writings. He studied them, and you know what? The holy writings were full of prophecies about the Messiah, but here's the thing. As much as Paul knew these holy writings in his head, he had not opened up his heart to the good news that was there. In fact, Paul really didn't even know God. Now, he had faith, but it was not in the true and living God. It was in a man-made Jewish legalism. Now, what does that have to do with you and me as we get started tonight? Well, I think we want to be very, very careful that our faith is in the true God, that our faith is in his good news, that we're really believing in and devoted to and trusting in God and his good work. So as we get started, wherever you're at, and you're the one who knows where you're at, let's just say, God, whatever road of life I'm on tonight, would you just stop me and shine some light on my life, Lord, so that I can make sure that my faith is really in you? See, we might be somebody who's been in church all our lives. We know all the Bible stories and then some. But just like Paul, somehow we've really missed faith in the genuine gospel. Or maybe you're somebody that knows nothing. Sometimes I think those are the best kind of people that God can work with, okay? Because he just starts with a blank slate, and he just wants to shine in on your life tonight and teach you his good news. Or maybe you're somebody who goes to church all the time. Your calendar is so full of church activity and ministry, but you can't even really remember the last time that you sensed God's nearness in your heart. Or maybe you're one who grew up and you knew all about all this, but really your heart has gotten pretty cold to it all and you need God to step in and just shine some warm light right down on you. You know, the Bible tells us that the gospel is a deep mystery and only God can reveal it. I can stand up here and tell it to you, but only God himself can really reveal the gospel into a heart. And my prayer tonight is that he's going to come here and that he's going to do that. He's going to really build some genuine faith in us. Even if we have faith, he's going to continue that work that he started. 
I've just been praying. My prayer has been ever since we started planning VBS that our hearts would be open. Your heart and my heart too, because we're all still growing. See, don't be like me who for years would hear a preacher start to talk about the gospel and here I'd gone to this service, this church service or a conference or something with this great expectation that they were going to talk about something that was going to meet me right where I was. And I thought, oh, I already know the gospel. Come on. I grew up in church. I know that Jesus died on the cross. This is good news to save me from my sins so I can go to heaven. And I'm really, really thankful for that. I really wasn't at the time. I thought I was. Deceived myself. But I thought that's all it was. But now I needed some more good news to help me with this problem that I was dealing with or help me with this challenge or help me deal with this confusion in my life. See, I didn't understand the deep mystery of the gospel. I didn't understand that the gospel is what fixes everything that was broken. And just like Paul, I needed God to stop me on the road of life that I was on and shine his light into me. See, the gospel's where it all starts. It, it's where it all ends. It's everything that's in between. And I'll tell you this, listen closely. If there's something in your life that you know is not genuine to Christ, then there's a place in your life where your faith is not genuine to the gospel. And I believe God wants to perfect our faith to keep working on that faith. So tonight, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about faith in the gospel. And we're going to go to the Word, because the Word is where you get faith. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And as a ministry, established footsteps, that's what we're all about, getting women in the Word. So we're going to do it. I want you to turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 1. And as you're doing that, let me just say, we're going to put some scriptures up here on the screen, but it's always good to get your Bible out and put it in your lap, and hopefully you brought one with you. If you didn't, bring it tomorrow when you come back, because you're coming back tomorrow, right? Because you want that sticker. I know you want that sticker. See, even though we're a little older now, little girls like stickers, see? Yes, yes. So we, we decided to give you stickers, but no, we really want you to come back tomorrow. I know there's a lot going on, but we really want you to come back tomorrow and be able to experience the whole time of EBS. And you can bring a friend with you tomorrow if you'd like to as well. But when you come back, make sure you bring your Bible. If you don't have one tonight, if you sense somebody sitting beside you who doesn't have a Bible, share with them. It's just good to have your own Bible in your lap. But let me say this also. If you're somebody that does not own a Bible, okay, we want to give you a Bible. So we would encourage you when you leave here tonight to go to the information desk and we'll give you a Bible. Now, we've got some pretty Bibles, okay? So don't just go back there and get one like if your Bible's brown and you want a pink one. Okay, that doesn't work. you got to, like, not have a Bible at all, okay? <laughs> okay? So don't stuff yours in your purse because it's brown and you want a pink one. No, we, we like pink, but we want to save those Bibles for people that don't have one. But we definitely want you to get one if you don't own a Bible. Okay, let's just start here in Galatians. It's a book that Paul wrote to really just expound on the gospel. And we're just going to let it speak by starting with verse number one. It says, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Now this is a greeting from Paul, but notice he's really saying it's a greeting from God. Because he comes as in calling of the Lord and in representation of the Lord. And he's writing to the churches 
in Galatia. Now, one of the wonderful things that we love about women's VBS is that we have women from all different kinds of churches. I'm sure we have women from Baptist churches, probably some of you here from First Baptist, but we've got women from Assemblies of God churches here. We've got women from Methodist churches and non-denominational churches and Catholic churches and Lutheran churches. We've got women of all different kinds because we're all the church. And isn't that a beautiful thing? That's what we always hear about women's VBS. People love coming and joining together with women of all different denominations and non-denominations because we're all the church. And even back then, the church had already begun to split off into some groups, and they had some differing opinions, maybe not as vast as we know today, but Paul's writing to all of them, and he's writing to all of us as well because we are the church. And here's what I find. Whenever you read Paul's writings in the New Testament, they're always infused with the gospel, with the good news of Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 1, he says, God the Father, and he could have just left it at that, but what does he say? It says, who raised him from the dead. Now, what is that? Who raised him from the dead? That's the central victory of the gospel, right? It's the most important part of the gospel. It wouldn't be good news if Jesus hadn't raised from the dead, and Paul just kind of inserts it in there. And you know why Paul does this? The more you read of Paul, you find out that the gospel is the daily focus, sometimes a minute-by-minute focus of Paul's life. And so he talks about it all the time. In fact, in the next three verses, he's going to give us just this little condensed version of the gospel. And he does this all over the New Testament. And we're going to read that, but before we do, I just want to pray. Because even though I'm the one up here teaching, God is the only one that can reveal the truth of the gospel in your heart. He's the only one that can shine it. And so we just want to stop right now before we get into these three verses, this condensed version of the gospel, and ask him to shine because we all need him to come near. Lord Jesus, I just thank you that you are in this place tonight, Lord. We all who know you and who have been born again by this good news, Lord, we have your spirit within us, so you're here. But Lord, sometimes we just sense your presence in strong ways, and I do tonight, and I'm thankful for that. Lord, and I know that I need you to come near to me and continue to perfect my faith in the gospel. I know that you need to continue to shine it in my life, and I know for all the women out here, we all need that. So Lord, we just invite you into this place. We have teachable ears and teachable hearts and teachable minds tonight, Lord. Would you just reveal your truth in a fresh way? Even if we've heard it all our lives, God, would you reveal your gospel to us? Would you shine a ray of light on something about it, Lord, that just speaks to us, because, Lord, we know that it is the best news ever. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read verses 3 through 5. It says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us out of this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. You know what? Paul's already given us this good news of the resurrection, which is the central victory of the gospel. But here's more. In the first statement, he says, grace to you. You know, the gospel is all about grace, all about grace. What is grace? You know, we sing amazing grace, and we use that word in the church a lot, but what is grace? I want to define it for us in the context of using a couple other words as well. Let's start with justice. Justice is when you get what you deserve, okay? So if I committed a crime that was worthy of death, and I go before a judge, and he sentences me to death, then I just got justice. I got what I deserved. 
But what is mercy? Mercy is when I don't get what I deserve. So if I commit a crime, I go before a judge, and he lets me go free, well, I've just gotten mercy because I should have been committed to death, right? So I got mercy because he let me go free. But what about grace? Grace is when I get things that I don't deserve. So if I commit a crime, I go before this judge, and he, and the crime is worthy of death, but the judge lets me go free, well, I got mercy, but then... He also like gives me some money and he gives me an apartment and he gives me a mentor and a job. Then he just gave me all this stuff to help me start this new life that I don't deserve. So I just got grace because I just got all these blessings that I don't deserve. Grace is when we get blessings we do not deserve. And according to verse 3 right here, where does it come from? From our God, from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where it comes from. But see, it's not just grace, because what does it also say? It says grace to you and peace. What's peace? The gospel's all about peace. Specifically right here, it means harmony, security, and tranquility. And according to verse 3, ladies, peace is coming our way from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And see, it's one of those things that we don't deserve. It flows out of his grace. So the heart of God is grace, the heart of the gospel is grace, and then peace comes out of that. And see, we get this peace, we get this peace with God, and then God puts his peace on us so that we can live in this war that's going on all around us. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, that is the reason that the gospel is such good news. See, whether you realize this or not, there is a major war going on all around us. It's not just over there in the Middle East, okay? There is a war going on right here. And verse 4 tells us what this war is all about. It says, who gave himself for our sins. Now, the war is all about sin. Do you see how Paul is giving this little condensed version of the gospel? He's already talked about the resurrection, about grace, about peace, and sin. Now, growing up a church girl, I heard about sin all the time. You know, it was a little word, but it was a big word because they always talked about it, sin. And by the time I was a teenager, I kind of had delegated sin into three categories. You know, that was that sin was that stuff that I did sometimes, you know, but God will forgive me for it. And then it was that stuff that really I really shouldn't do, but I was very tempted to do and maybe even sometimes tried to do, but didn't go all the way with doing. And, and then there was that stuff that other people did that I would never do. And that was the categories that I had sin in. That was my understanding of sin. Sin was something that I did. And my categories, you know what they were for, don't you? To appease my own guilt. See, I didn't understand that sin was actually something that I was. I didn't understand that I had a sin nature. Now, no wonder I felt guilty all the time. No wonder so many women feel guilty all the time because we do have a sin nature. I know that I personally came into a greater understanding of what sin was when I began to get in the Word. And one of the first things God taught me about was how I was made. How I was made. And, and then he began to teach me about how sin affects every single part of me. One of the resources that we have at the back at our resource table is a CD. It's called Spirit, Soul, and Body. And literally, God changed my life when he taught me the truth that, that I get to teach on on this CD. And we just have some different people who filled out some um, contact cards tonight. Alyssa Elliott, are you here? Cynthia's going to bring this to you. Alyssa. I'm not sure where she's at, but she's going to raise her hand. I know she is. 
Ah, okay, scream at us. Over here, Cynthia, that way. That way. Okay, we just want you to have that. And one of the other things is a couple years ago, God allowed me to take some time to write a Bible study that I really wanted to write for a long time and tried several times to get it written, but it just wouldn't come together. And a couple years ago, God afforded me the opportunity. It's called So Long Self, but it's a study of Romans 6. And God just broke open an understanding of sin in my life. And, and you know, you think, oh, that sounds heavy. And it kind of is, but you know what? When you know the truth, the truth sets you free, right? And so we just want to bless somebody with this. Um, Ann Johnson, are you here, Ann? Filled out a contact card, and we just want to bless Ann with that. I know Ann. I love you, Ann. I hope that blesses you. <laughs> okay, so we just want to give some of those things away, and hopefully you'll take a time to look at some of the resources that we have back there. Because, you know, when you get in the Word, God begins to give you some understanding. You know, the most common definition of sin in the Bible comes from a word, hamarsha, which means to miss the mark. In other words, God has a plan, and we miss it. <laughs> we don't hit the plan. We miss it all the time. And sin actually gets embedded in the way we think, in the way we talk, the way we feel. It can attach itself to our attitudes and our preferences, and on and on it goes. I don't know if you've ever been around somebody, and just about everything they do gets on your last nerve. You probably had a picture just flying to your mind right that minute, didn't you? Yeah. Hopefully it's not me. But anyway, you know, you get to the point sometimes where it's like, if I have to be around them another minute, I'm just going to blow it because I, I, I just clash with everything about them. Well, you know what? That's us and God. We clash with God. We miss every single mark that God had set out for us. And imagine our holy God. See, he not only sees our behavior, he sees our inner essence. He sees everything about us. And see, the Bible is very clear that you and I from birth, as cute as we were as little babies, okay, we were at odds with God. The Bible tells us he created us with purpose and plans, but we're always, always trying to go our own way. See, sin's not something you do once you're old enough to figure out right from wrong. Sin is the state of who you are that leads you to do wrong things. You sin because you are a sinner. You're not a sinner because you're, you sin. Let me say that again. You sin because you're a sinner. You're not a sinner because you sin. The Bible says we were brought forth in sin, that we were by nature an object of God's wrath. And sin creates war. It does. It first creates war with God. And since your relationship with God is fractured, you know what's going to happen? Your relationship with you is going to be fractured. And if your relationship with God is fractured and your relationship with yourself is fractured, your relationship with other people is going to be fractured. Because you can't have a fractured relationship with God and a fractured relationship with yourself and all of a sudden you're just going to have all these lovely relationships with people. It does not work that way. And most of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And what happens is we get in the war, and that is the war. We're always fighting with God and with ourselves and with other people. We're all in this war because the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So it doesn't matter if you're a church-going girl who sang kumbaya or you have done things that would make a heathen blush. Or maybe you're the church-going girl that sang kumbaya and you still did things that would make the heathen blush. It doesn't really matter because we're all in the war, and war creates pain. The war of sin creates pain for our holy God, and it creates pain for us. Now, it's obvious why it creates pain for God, right? I mean, can you imagine how disappointed he is? Holy God, I mean, really, think about that. 
But what about for us? I mean, sometimes sin is fun, right? In the moment, it can be very pleasurable. We're getting to do what we want. It, it might satisfy our senses or our feelings, but the results are not worth it. See, when we force our own way, we settle. And you know what we settle for? We settle for being our own God. And we're not a very good God. <laughs> I've found that about myself, and I'm sure about you. Even as talented as you are, as lovely as you are, as smart and beautiful and, and capable as you are, you're not a good God. And you know what? When you settle for being your own God, you miss the relationship with the true God who is the source of life. And without him, life gets very, very dark. It might feel very lit up for the moment, but it's eventually going to lead you down a path of darkness and you're going to be fighting your way and you're going to get in a war with life. And some of you tonight, you feel like you're in a war with life. And you know what? It doesn't matter if all of a sudden you decide, oh, I don't like this. It kind of feels dark in here to me. I think I'll reach out to God. You know what? You can't because you don't have any light to find God on your own. You don't have any at all. He's the only one with the light. You can't find him but he can find you, and the good news of the gospel is that he did. That's the good news. Jesus is the light of the world, and he decided to shine in your life and in my life and make us an offer, and here's what the offer is. The offer is reconciliation, and that's why in verse 3 it says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. See, it's not because you reached out to God or not because some people at this church down the street were really nice to you and so now you feel all warm and fuzzy when you're with them, okay? That, that's not what this is about. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God giving every one of us more than we ever deserved. See, because of sin, we deserve death. We deserve darkness and ugliness and lifelessness and pain and suffering, all the stuff that comes along with the war. But God says, no, out of my grace, I'll make peace. I will bring my light into your darkness. And he did. He left heaven. He came into our dark world. And verse 4 says he gave himself for our sins. Jesus died in our place. That's the good news. He fought the war for us, and he died in it. Now, why did he die? That he might deliver us out of this present evil age. That he might deliver us. See, none of us could deliver us. You know why he can deliver us? Because he has power over death. And that's the good news of the gospel that Paul has already told us. He was raised from the dead. If we die in the war, we're going to stay dead without Jesus. But when he dies in the war, he resurrected. And you know what happens? He delivers us out of this evil age, out of this war. He died so that we can have a new nature, so that we're not a sinner by nature, so that he can give us his righteousness. All that war that I just described a minute ago, God designed the gospel to get you out of it. If you identify with any of that war, and you should because we're all sinners, God designed the gospel to get you out of it. You can't get yourself out. You can't figure out the truth on your own. Doesn't matter how many, how many times you go to Sunday school, if you get all the Sunday school pins, all of this stuff, it doesn't matter. You're not going to figure it out on your own. If you really know the gospel, it's because God came into your life and he started working in you. He started filling your soul with gladness, giving you purpose and meaning to life. 
You can't deal with death on your own. You can't deal with the after effects. You can't make sense out of your own emotions. I mean, I get lost in my heart sometimes. It's very confusing in there. I don't know if yours is, but mine is, and God's the only one that can rescue me out of the evil stuff that will float around in there at times. See, God comes in and he rescues us. He gets us out of this evil age that lives for self and to self, doing its own thing, trying to be its own God, and instead he shows us how to live for him and to him. And do you see this part right here? It says, according to the will of our God and Father. One of the greatest aspects of the gospel is that the gospel was God's idea. It was God's plan. It was God's plan. It says, according to the will of our God. You know what? Paul teaches in other places. He doesn't say it right here. But like in Ephesians 1, he tells us that God had this plan long before he even created the world. See, before you were ever born, before you said your first cuss word, before you spoke harshly to your husband or went too far with your boyfriend or committed adultery or had an abortion or disobeyed your parents, before you ate too much, or drank too much, or got divorced, or used drugs, or skipped church, or were lazy, depressed, forgot to pray, gossiped, lied, stole, whatever you wanna talk about. In fact, before God ever even created the first tree, he had already planned that Jesus was gonna die on one to get us out of this evil age that he knew was coming, he knew that we would choose, and he knew that we would have to live with. Our rescue was God's plan. Do you see that the gospel, the focus of the gospel is not about us? The gospel is about God. In fact, the only thing that we get to do is receive and get rescued. The gospel is God's idea, it's God's will, it's God's work. We just get to get blessed. We just get to give him glory. And read verse 5. It says, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. That's what it's about. It's about giving God glory forever. That's why, if you're looking forward to going to heaven, that's why God's going to take you there. I mean, he might give you a mansion, and he might let you put it on an angel robe, you know. I don't, I don't know. But the gospel is about making much of Jesus. That's why God created you in the first place. See, when God first started working in me, when I was just eight years old, I was a baby. It's, it's like being born again. I mean, that's what the Bible says. And, and a baby doesn't have any understanding. You know what I thought? I thought the gospel was all about me and what I did. I made a decision to follow Jesus. And it was all about Jesus was going to take me to heaven one day. He was going to give me a mansion. He was going to let me walk on streets of gold. But you know what? God kept working in me, and he kept teaching me and refining my faith and making it more and more genuine because the gospel is not about me. The gospel is about Jesus. See, it's great that I made a decision for Jesus, but I would have never made a decision for Jesus if Jesus didn't choose me first, right? And it's great that Jesus is going to take me to heaven one day, but you know what? Heaven isn't going to be about me, and it's not going to be about you, and we're going to be okay with that because heaven's going to be about Jesus. You know, if you ask a lot of people, if you ask people, what does the gospel mean in your life? Many might say, oh, it's the foundation of my faith. God loves me. My sins are forgiven. I can go to heaven. Now, all of that is true, but you know what we tend to do? 
We tend to leave it in that one-dimensional place, that one-dimensional statement that's all about us. And you know what? We start building on it in the same way. We start getting focused on, now I need to grow my faith. I need to grow my prayer life, my fellowship. I need to work on my hope. I need to work on my joy, my peace, my worship. And you know what? When we do that, who are we focused on? We're focused on ourselves. We made a decision for Jesus, and now we better figure out how we're going to live for him better and grow our faith. That's not genuine to the gospel. God made a decision for us, and God will grow your faith, making it more and more genuine. I told you I was a little girl when God first began my faith. I was much older when I finally began to get it. And when my faith in the gospel really started to take off and I began to get some understanding and, and I've come to the place to realize, you know what, I'm not the only one. I want you to look at this. That video was actually produced by a pastor. You saw him there. His name is Matt Chandler and he lives in Texas and he's passionate about people embracing the gospel. He recently wrote a book called The Explicit Gospel. See, the gospel is so high and broad and deep and wide. I mean, we cannot begin to explain it in its depth tonight. We're not ever going to completely understand it, I don't believe, until we see Jesus face to face. But little by little, as we stand upon it as the foundation of our life, yes, and it is the foundation of our life, but we also focus on it daily, our faith begins to grow and our lives begin to genuinely look like the gospel. You know, after Paul explained the gospel here to the churches in Galatia, he begins to talk to them about what they're doing with the gospel. So let's just read this in verse 6. He says, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. In other words, look, you've got this great news, but you've deserted Jesus and you're running after some other good news, some other gospel. But then he says, which is really not another, in other words, it's really not even good news, you just think it is, basically, is what he's saying there, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So here they've got this great news, but they're running after some other good news, and a lot of them had gotten disturbed because the gospel had gotten all distorted. Here's what was going on there in Galatia. Many of the first Christians were Jews. And then Gentiles also started to become Christians. But see, the Jewish culture, I mean, they lived under this very strict legalism of the law. And one of the laws that they followed so closely was the law of circumcision. But Gentiles didn't practice circumcision. So some of the Jews were going up to these Gentiles and they're saying, hey, isn't it great that Jesus saved us? But you know, if you really want to be saved, you've also got to be circumcised. That was what the issue was here. They were deserting the genuine truth that you're saved by faith in Jesus. They were preaching this different message. They were adding this whole thing about having to be circumcised. They were disturbing these Christians by making them get all confused about were they really saved or were they not, and they distorted the genuine gospel. Paul was so frustrated because, see, Paul knew the gospel. God himself had taught the gospel to Paul, and Paul knew the freedom of the gospel. You know what? As we watched that video just a moment ago, it's really very clear that the same kinds of things that we see in verses 6 and 7 are happening to our faith today. You know, think about it in the context of the church. Many desert the gospel for some other good news or other focus in their life. 
See, a lot of people will allow the gospel to be the foundation of their faith, but the daily focus of their faith gets focused on something else, like maybe their preference of music in the church, or maybe a certain kind of people. They only want to go to church with this kind of people, or their denomination, or maybe it's some specific teaching that they wrap their whole Christian experience around, or maybe it's using a certain kind of Bible, or praying a certain prayer, or whatever, but you get so focused on something other than the gospel. And these things and more become the focus of the faith instead of the work of redemption in someone's life through the saving power of Jesus Christ. That happens a lot in the church, all kinds of churches. Personally, what happens? How do we desert the gospel for other good news? Well, you know what? A lot of us would say, if somebody asked us, if they said, are you a Christian? Oh, yes, I'm a Christian. Jesus died for my sins, and and I'm going to heaven. But you know what we do a lot? We kind of stick that over here on the shelf, or we stand upon that as kind of our insurance for our future. But the gospel's not the focus of our lives. Our life is not caught up in the gospel. Our life is caught up in all this other good news, you know, that we've got going on, whether it's, it's a focus on a job or living in a certain neighborhood or looking a certain way or a relationship that we're so caught up in. We're not focused in living with our life caught up in the gospel that we found some other good news that we're really running after. The gospel's just kind of our foundation for, for the future. And then, you know, you look in verse 7 that talks about others disturbing our faith in the gospel. Because what do they do? They distort the truth. Or what do we do? We distort the truth sometime. You know, lots of people start with faith in Jesus. Many in our world have distorted the need for a Savior. They say, oh, man has come so far. You know, and Jesus, he was such a good man. We really ought to follow his example. You know, we're really good people. We just need somebody to look to so we'll know how to be loving. And, and maybe then in the end, our good's going to outweigh our bad. Well, that's not the gospel. We need a savior. We're dirty, rotten sinners. That's a distorted gospel. Many distort the gospel by believing in Jesus for salvation. But now it's all up to them to keep their salvation. And they're going to try to live these perfect moral lives and expect everybody else to live these perfect moral lives to impress God. You know what? You got your salvation by grace and you're going to keep it by grace. That's not the gospel if you think you're going to earn it by the way you live. Many Christians are very disturbed by man-made additions to the gospel. Just like the Galatian Jews, they say, if you really want to be saved, it's Jesus plus. You accept Jesus, and then you got to obey these rules, wear these kind of clothes, do this religious act. If you really want to be saved, it's Jesus plus. Attend this kind of church, pray this kind of prayer, give this kind of offering. It's about faith in Jesus, but we add something else to it. That's distorting the gospel. Some will distort the gospel, and you know what they do? They swing all the way to this big extreme of grace. Now, the gospel is all about grace. But the gospel is all about righteousness, too. And when it swings all this way to where you just have license to do whatever you want, that's not a genuine gospel. And people get very disturbed and live very disturbing lives when they focus only on the grace. Because God rescued us out of the evil age to take us to something else. And that's righteousness. And that's the true gospel. When the gospel gets distorted in these ways and many other ways, you know what happens? Our faith gets distorted. And then you can completely forget genuine because a genuine life, a genuine Christian life can only flow out of faith that's in the genuine gospel. How is it? 
that men and women, like in that video, can grow up in church and not understand the gospel? How is it that I could be a Christian for 21 years before I began to get the gospel? How is it that we hold this Bible in our hands and in our laps, and yet we don't genuinely know the truth? Have we deserted the gospel for a different gospel? Is our faith being disturbed because we've distorted the gospel? See, there's expressions of all kinds of ways. I mean, we could talk about it all night long, of these things happening all around us, but also in us. In fact, probably in us. And I say in us because that is what happens. I mean, I can tell you lots of ways of personal shortfalls that I have in being a genuine Christian. And I'm sure if you're honest, I mean, you could do the same thing. See, when things in my life are less than a genuine expression of Christ, I believe there's some place in me where something is wrong in how I'm looking at or believing in or being devoted to the gospel. That's why it's so important for me and for you to be in the word every day, to open up my heart every day so that the genuine light of the gospel can shine in. Because you know what Paul says right here? You know whose responsibility it is to know the gospel? Now, it's God who's going to teach it to you, okay? But then it's our responsibility to grab hold of this gospel. Look in verse 8. He says, even though we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Now, he's being a little bit, you know, exaggerating here. Paul's saying, look, if I come to you and preach to you something different, curse me. He says, if an angel comes from heaven and preaches a different gospel, curse me. Well, how are you going to know if it's different if you don't know the true gospel, right? So you've got to know the true gospel, and you've got to be in the Word to know what the gospel says. That's how God works it out in us. Anybody, I don't care if you've been in church all your life, you can get off track. The apostle Peter got off track. Keep reading in the book of Galatians, and in chapter 2, Paul confronts Peter to his face because Peter got off track with the gospel. See, as the circumstances, the seasons of your life change in all of us, okay, are going to grow older, even you younger girls that are here, you've got that beautiful skin and all that, you're going to get older too. It happens to all of us. And the cir circumstances, the seasons of your life are going to change. You need the gospel. I need the gospel to shine in in different ways and shine in on that season of my life so that God can help me live the genuine Christian life that he called me to live. This past year, let, let me give you an example of this. This past year, I've been meeting with a woman, a woman who's kind of like a mentor to me, and she's got this really good gift from God to look at the Word and then just make it come alive in us. Her name is uh, Cheryl Sharp, and she's actually going to be leading some sessions for our ministry later throughout this year called Deeper. And there's more information if you got one of those genuine magazines, which I would really encourage you to get. There's so many good resources and testimonies and places for notes and questions and all kinds of things as well as the Bible, um, the Bible study in the back. But on the very back cover, there's um, some more information about these deeper events. And I would really encourage you to think about being a part of those. It's going to be standalone Saturday morning times where we sit around a table and just really dig in. And Cheryl's going to be leading those. I'm going to be there too. It's, it's just going to be a really good time. But Cheryl and I have been going this year through the book of Galatians. And, and we're going slow at it because we just get together usually about once a month. But when we first started going through Galatians, Cheryl had made a list of, of just some characteristics 
characteristics about the gospel because Paul starts talking about the gospel right away as we've looked at tonight. So she was reading this list out loud. I'm sitting on her couch sipping some tea and she's reading the list and she gets to this word. She says, the gospel's one directional and then she keeps reading and I said, stop. And I said, go back. And she said, the gospel's one directional. And I said, what do you mean by that? And she said, well, God's the one that reached out to us. He reached first. He reached for us. God reaching. It comes from God. Grace and peace to you from God. And I started thinking about that. And you know what? That morning, that morning, the Holy Spirit shined a new ray of light on the gospel for me. Because here's something that was going on in my life at the time, in a season of life that I was at. I was really struggling in a relationship. And I had gotten to the point that I was just going to withhold love from this person that I should be giving love to. But here's where I was. I was like, you know what? I've tried enough. I'm not trying anymore until they reach back to me. And that's kind of where I was. And yet, that's not living genuine to the gospel. God shined in that morning, and he showed me how if my life is going to be genuine to the gospel, then I've got to be one directional too. I've got to reach, even if they never reach back to me. Now, I'll tell you, that didn't just change overnight. In fact, in many ways, I'm still wrestling with that truth because as new situations rise up in my life, I've got to say, well, God, what does that look like? But see, I have to go back to the gospel and let the gospel shine and let God keep working out my faith. He who began a good work in me. But see, if I'm not in the word, I'm not giving the gospel time to shine, I'm just going to walk under this cloud of darkness all the time and really not understand. And my life is going to get further and further away from being a reflection of the gospel. You know, God redeems the places in us that get off track if we'll get in the word and let his gospel shine in. You know, he's so good and he's so redeeming. I think about, you know, I used to be somebody, and, and I hate saying this, but it is the truth. I was so bored by the word of God. And now here, God has me leading a ministry that promotes Bible study for women. I mean, God is good and he's redeeming. And then I think about all those years that I thought, okay, I already know the gospel. Would you move on to something else? You know? And now tonight I'm standing up here and our whole women's VBS is about the gospel and how it is the most continually impacting truth that I could ever explore. I mean, God is good and God redeems. He brings us full circle from our deserting, our disturbing, our distorting of the gospel when we have teachable ears for what he wants to say in our lives. He's good and he's redeeming. He draws near. Isn't that the message of the gospel anyway? That God draws near to us in our mess, in our confusion, in our stupidity sometimes, right? He comes by. He comes near. And he does a work in us, a work of faith in us, those kumbaya moments that every one of us need. See, some people may desert the gospel or disturb it or distort it, but think about it. Think about this. Nobody can destroy it. Who tried to destroy it? Paul, right? <laughs> and God sure redeemed him. He became the greatest preacher of the gospel ever because you can't destroy the gospel. Oh, you can reject it, but if you do that, you're ultimately going to just end up destroying yourself. You know, I know tonight in this room, there are lots of people, in fact, all of us, who haven't lived genuine to the gospel. I'm one of those people. I've shared some things with you about that already. But I'm believing, I'm, I'm really believing that God's here working in our faith, and we're getting it. See, it's not about you saying, oh, I really need to work at being more genuine in my worship. 
or I really need to pray more genuine prayers because you can't do that. That's not how it works. You're not going to worship better. You're not going to pray better until God breaks open this treasure chest to you of who Jesus is. And then you won't be able to help yourself but worship. You, you won't be able to, to not pray because you're going to need to pray to be able to breathe. And, and you're going to count it a privilege to do that. See, I think the light is, is shining and we're starting to maybe connect some dots that, that our faith in being Genuine and Christian living is directly connected to our faith in the gospel. See, that faith has to be our foundation, yes, but it also has to be our focus if we want to live genuine lives for Jesus. Many of us maybe have realized tonight that maybe the reason we've got this struggle in our life and in some area or another is that maybe we've deserted the gospel. Maybe our faith has really become more about our church or our specific ministry job, or church activity, or Christian activity, or Christian friends, more than actually faith in Jesus. Maybe we've gone after a different gospel, meaning maybe we have a faith in Jesus, but our lives are spent just running after all this other good news that we think is better news than Jesus, but it's not. Maybe we've disturbed the gospel in some way. We have been the one maybe that's taken the pure truth of Jesus and added a bunch of other stuff to it, maybe in our own hearts, maybe in the way we even share it with others, or maybe we've distorted the gospel at some point. Maybe it's become more about our preferences and our culture and our growing up and experiences. I don't know, but wherever you're at, I hope that you're very encouraged that God redeems. He redeems all of that. He even redeems those who go so far as to destroy the gospel because God came near to Paul, and Paul tried to destroy it. But God came near to him, and he redeemed him. And I believe wherever we're at tonight, God wants to do the same in us. At eight years old, God started a genuine work in me. When he came near, as I sat around a campfire singing Kumbaya, and I'm confident of this very thing, that he will perfect that genuine work he started until the day I meet him face to face. What about you? Has God started a work of faith in you? I'm sure in many of you he has. What did it look like when he started your faith? And what has he been doing in your life lately in regards to the gospel? Or maybe you're somebody who's here tonight and you don't have a faith, but maybe God wants to start one tonight, and I, and I believe that he does. I believe that he does. See, Lord, we need you so much to come near to us, to kumbaya us to come near.